Hey, happy Thursday, everyone, and welcome back to the I-5 Corridor's traffic report. I should probably say Happy New Year, and you know what? I haven't even said that to you yet, Shane. Happy New Year, Shane. Shane Hoffman joining us for the 2024 season. <sighs> Here we are still. Here we are still. <laughs> <laughs> Ain't nothing changed. Are still you here. Are you back in Portland? We're doing this on Zoom, but are, you're back in Portland now, though, aren't you? Well, you can see the router behind me, can't you? You know where I'm at. Yeah, but I mean, I'm assuming there's a little bit of like um, storytelling involved in these podcasts, right. Shane. You know, not everybody is privy to see what we're able to. So, hey, Shane, yeah, are man. you back in Portland after a few weeks away? I just so happened to be. We had a week in Boston followed by a week in Chicago and uh, all around great time. You know, friends, family, football. I need a break. I need a break. I'm glad to be back and for me, actually glad to be back to work. Were you watching the football back there or were you home already? Well, if by football you mean the semifinal game, yeah. which is the only football I've consumed. That, that was that was that was capital T and the and then capital F yes. with the football. Well, you know, I watched I watched Oregon obviously, um, but I didn't think a single other bowl game was worth a damn. Um yes, so I was in Chicago. Um and then I flew back last night. So, you know, here we are, right back to the pod. What was the general reaction to people in Chicago to Michael Penix? Was it, oh, my God, like, where did this guy come from? Or did it seem like that people had been watching Washington a little bit? So I, I watched it with just a few people, and they're people that I went to school with. Um, so they they were, like you said earlier, privy to um, the ability that Michael Penix possesses there was definitely something weird that happened with that game that kind of I think illustrates why the Pac-12 you know wasn't working is that no one watched Penix all year and you could tell by the reactions to people on Twitter and 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 whatnot and you know that's not to say he didn't have a fantastic game because that's what I want to talk about for like 45 minutes is just his game but it was very clear that um the move to the Big Ten has never seemed kind of more um, more apt, more more timely, given given what we saw. Especially because you saw a lot of people who were trying to mask the fact that they hadn't watched a lot of Washington football this year, too. I think I, I think the dumbest tweet I saw was, um, I think it was Des Bryant, who was like, this Michael Penix reminds me a lot of uh, Michael Vick. And it's like, well, they're both left-handed. Yeah, you, could not, you could not find <laughs> a more awful comparison if you tried. Yeah, I, I don't think I've ever really seen Penix take off when otherwise when he's absolutely had to. And he's one of the quarterbacks. You know, there are there are a lot of like dual threat quarterbacks. And I'll even say this with like Caleb Williams, too, where you kind of want them to run just because I think we kind of grew up on those like amazing like dual threat quarterback highlights. Penix is like the one quarterback where for uh, just like the sake of highlights, I want him to just stay back there and throw because those throws are the coolest things I've ever seen. Like, it's ridiculous. And that's what I tweeted in the middle of the, the Washington and Texas game was, I don't know if this should feel like cathartic for Oregon fans or if this should feel like haunting to like see those same throws, those like one-on-one balls to Odunze that like, they're not one-on-one balls. Like they're like a 70-30, like every time they go down there, it's just, um, it's probably nice for Oregon to at least know that this could happen to somebody else. Yeah. And I think as someone who covered Oregon and came on this podcast and talked with you so many times this year about how freaked out we were not, not that's not, that's a, 
probably the wrong wording there, but just how scary Penix is. Yeah. Like in person, I was, you know, when we, each of us, I guess you've seen him in person three times now. I've only seen him twice, but um, just a terrifying quarterback. And I, you know, I've seen Caleb Williams and it's, it's, it's weirdly not the same. Like you don't, it doesn't quite fight, uh, kind of strike the, the same fear. I had a bunch of people tell me that they thought not only was Texas going to win, but they were going to win big. Like they were going to blow them out by 20 plus people that, um, you know, a combination of people that, you know, went to Oregon and watched Oregon and then a combination of people um, who, who, you know, were kind of aloof to what Washington was this year. And I was like, I did, I just didn't see it. And I backed it up pretty um, heavily financially. I'll put it that way. And I just Penix. That game was the best quarterback game I've seen. I don't know. I so long. It was gorgeous. Everything it's, was gorgeous. It's it's going to be fascinating because even let's say Washington wins on Monday and they're the national champions. There's I think gonna they will, be, by the way. We'll get into that. I think yeah, yeah, we'll we'll get into that. But there's going to be a lot of soul searching in Eugene for Oregon fans of our biggest rival had just won the national championship. There's going to be a lot of stories about how Washington is doing everything right and how they've gotten the perfect coach and the perfect formula and how all these things hit. And in Eugene, you're just going to be sitting there thinking that you were six points away from beating them twice. Um, And it's, it's going to be an interesting time just for the sake of like, I don't think that the ducks have to like all of a sudden like fix like a big problem. I think it's just, I think Michael Penix is worth three points a game. <laughs> you know, if, if, if teams are, if te- teams are even, that's the best quarterback in college I've ever seen. He, uh, wait, did you say he's the best quarterback you've ever seen in college? That I've covered that I've like covered. Okay. And, and, sorry. Okay, yeah. 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 No. And I mean, you've seen a lot of good ones um, in the pac 12. There's something about, yeah, there's something about the way he plays. Like I just, it was like kind of maniacal cackling with me and my friends on the couch, like watching it happen to a, a Big Twelve team, a f- you know, future SEC team that, and especially Texas. Like you know Texas people, you know their fans, um, and just to to watch him just sit back there and effortlessly drop these balls in, and then have some lasers. The the most impressive one to me, I think it was his first one of the, or not his first one of the game. He had one down the, I believe, left sideline. Where he just immediately flicks yeah. it, and then he does this kind of 270 out of the pocket. Like, it was just like a warm-up throw. And it was just the most beautiful – they have a, they had a view behind the quarterback where you could kind of see it. it just It was just gorgeous. I, I can't say enough about him. Um, he was so deadly. And I think to your point about Oregon, like, you have to feel a little bit validated that we, we went back and forth so much with the narrative with Oregon this year and that, okay, you know, this team could be good, but, you know, I said, what's their thing, right? Then oh th- this team is 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 good okay well how good oh they're they're fantastic and then it was like oh another loss to Washington do we have to go back to the drawing board here maybe it's like no I don't think you do you, you mentioned Washington's recipe they've done it in a very different way they've done it quickly with six year seniors with transfers with a new coach I don't think Oregon has to change up anything and I think no fans want to see Washington win. But I think it's actually good for Oregon. I really do. I I can't believe I'm saying that. Yeah, that's it's going to be a tough one for Oregon fans to swallow. But I I definitely think it it it's important for this to happen at least for one of these teams just to put the spotlight out west um, as you move into the Big Ten season, and and it, and it really does take it away from 
you know, USC and UCLA thought they were the ones making the big splash with the move to the Big Ten when they announced it a year and a half ago. And arguably, you know, football set up for the next few years, it's it's going to be Oregon and Washington as the, the, the two kind of premier teams to watch out here. I know USC is able to kind of counter with a quick recruiting class and all of that. But um, when Oregon and Washington play next year at the end of the year, it's going to be like their first as like true rivals. And it could very well be, you know, two playoff teams playing again and one of them being a defending national champion. Like everyone's eyes are going to be on that. I made, the, I kind of made the joke during, during the game of uh, like, this probably would have sold some Apple subscriptions. Like, I still think that like they made the right choice. The big 10 is going to be the right choice, but it's, it's just, I, I think it just further shows just as you said earlier, how mishandled this whole thing was because the football hasn't been the problem. With Penix, He's a guy. Um, I know you went big picture there, and I'm going back to Penix. No, that's fine. But, um, you don't really see him in, in a lot of first round mock drafts, and he's kind of had a weird year with some injuries. And he's obviously got a, a, a deep injury history, which is concerning. And he's a little older. Um, how can he not be a first round pick? How can I, you dude, not I, see that I, and I, say, I don't, "What is that?" I don't. I don't understand it. Like. Maybe it's because he's 24. Maybe it's because he's had the two knee surgeries. Um, right. I just, I guess the, I said the, the, say the Los Angeles, the Los Angeles Dodgers just gave Otani 700 million and he's had two Tommy John surgeries. Yeah. Like I, I think the, the belief that you can recover from stuff like that isn't quite as much of a hindrance as it used to be. But yeah, like if you're just like looking at it from like the way he runs that offense, it's a like NFL type offense. And if he has receivers like that, like I, I don't see him not succeeding if he's given the opportunity. Yeah, this is how this stuff happens because he probably – I haven't even looked at any – I don't know if they put any mock drafts out since that game, but he's probably going to be in the first round now, and I think he should be. This is how this stuff works. I saw a hilarious tweet that was like, you know, can't wait for that first um, post-college football season mock draft when uh, Kuiper has Caleb Williams down in the 20s. It's like, let's see if Kuiper still has his fastball. It's like that's the, that's the thing with all this. It's so arbitrary, but – he reminded, that game reminded me so much of the game CJ Stroud played last year against Ohio, uh, excuse me, against Georgia, where he was just tremendous. And my dad was asking me the other day, he's like, how could how could people watch CJ Stroud and Bryce Young and think Bryce Young was better? He's like, I don't know. But then he was like, well, who could have really seen this coming though? I was like, well, if he watched him in the biggest game he played in his career, he was fantastic. And that's the kind of sense I get with Penix, where people want to say the receivers and they're great, they're fantastic. But who's he going to be throwing to the NFL? NFL receivers. I don't know. He'll he'll yeah. probably come in. He'll probably, you know, go late first, early second, and he'll come in during a game as a rookie because of an injury, and he'll probably win the game. The start of this podcast is exactly why it's so hard to evaluate Oregon's 2023 season because the Ducks just won a New Year's Six Bowl by 40 points. You should probably won, talk about that. They won 12 games. Quarterback finished third in the Heisman rankings. And we're not talking about it at all to start this just because of the two games that they did loss happened to be against the one opponent that you can't lose them to. So that's that's kind of what I wanted to get into next, though, is just like now that like we're a couple of days like outside of it, like how do you kind of sit back and look at the 23 season? And is it fair to look at like the Bo Nix era as like in like a vacuum or do you think that it's something that is 
the way that I see the Knicks era is like, I see it as an integral stepping stone for the landing program. I think it gave it credibility. It gave him like proof of concept. And so whatever yeah. came next is a little bit because of Knicks. But like, I think that was a very distinctive, like you're going to have like those two years and then it's what came after. Yeah. And he was, he was a really important Knicks. I'm sorry. He, he was kind of the perfect quarterback to have for that transition. I don't mean that necessarily in the way he played, although I think, his maturity on field was extremely valuable when you're transitioning into a new offense and you've got all these, all this roster turnover, right. To have a you know a coach on the field, as cliche as it sounds. But again, you said this, I think the last time we talked, like he just completely embraced Oregon. Um, and then, you know, you get in the proof of concept stuff with, Hey, we can take a guy that has talent. And it's like, was that the right spot for him? And we can coach him up and we can send him to the NFL. And Bo Nix went from an, in, in a two year stretch from, probably an undrafted free agent to a first round pick. I mean, look at that, right? That's, that's bulletin board stuff. You can kind of point to is like, yeah, yeah, we did that. I mean, and the, the proof of that too, is the fact that you have a five star with starting experience sitting on your, that's like volunteered to sit on your bench next year with Dante Moore. Like it's, I would love to see the day when Oregon like recruits a four star out of high school and develops him from a, being a, a, a spring rookie to, you know, a, a natural progression as a starter. But like right now, like they're pretty damn good at the transfer portal stuff. And I think the more thing two years from now will be like the most fascinating case study in that and, and whether or not like this development actually works. Oregon did play a game this week, as you alluded to. Uh, <laughs> we started with 20 minutes on the rivals game, but it was a more important game. That being said, I mean, is there anything you could even take away from that game? It seemed like you got a sense of, you know, what, the offensive hierarchy could look like next year at the skill positions. I don't know. It was something that you and I were texting about, but I think my biggest takeaway from that game is Oregon's skill positions are still going to be monstrous next year, if not even better. Like I think Trayshawn Holden, given the opportunity is going to be number one receiver type of guy. Um, Tez Johnson coming back. I mean, like the thing is, is again, you and I were talking about this is, they had the Ducks had two receivers this year set the single season receptions record for Oregon. It doesn't give a whole lot of extra balls to go around to like younger guys like Holden or, um, uh, you know, even like a Gary Bryant Jr., who I thought had like a good season when given the opportunity. But like seeing like Tez go, go off, seeing Trayshawn go off, knowing the receivers that they're bringing in with this freshman class. Um, and then just seeing Jordan James, you know. I think Jordan James might be better than Bucky Irving in the long run. Like, I I think that's my big takeaway. Granted, I don't think Liberty is a great gauge of uh, uh, future success. Respect to them for doing what they did this season. They should not be playing in a New Year's Six Bowl game against a team that might be the second best team in college football. But, yeah, I think that was my big takeaway. Yeah, we can say that, right? Like, that's – we were joking earlier, but, like, that's – I mean, I'd say Oregon – gave him a better fight than than Texas. Yeah. I, th- I thought more I thought more what changed into that game with Washington was was self-inflicted wounds which which has happened for Washington this year. Was, I, t- I was texting I was like, look, this is the exact script as every game. And they were like, they might be choking here. It's like, ah, it happens every time, but um no, I think you make good points about the skill position guys. I mean, <laughs> the Jordan James Bucky one is especially funny because Jordan James like he averaged seven yards a carry this year. He was phenomenal. Yeah, he's just he's, so, he's so efficient. Good. And Bucky does all this freelancing. And it's like, oh, wow. But you, know, you look at the numbers. It's like, 
George James, James, could James absolutely just get Russian. Yeah, James just gets this like head of steam, and it's like good luck like pulling this down for like you know more or less yeah. than like six or seven yards. Bucky has incredible vision. He had that one run where he came up the right side and then was like kind of ran, brought it back across the left side and was going up that, and it was just like man, like that's really impressive. But um, I think the Ducks are going to be okay yeah. at that position. Well, they got Whittington coming back. Yeah, and and then you look at the receivers, and I've been trying to tell people like, oh, like well, we lose we lose Troy, and you know. Tez is going maybe well. Tez might come back, and then again, you know, Holden was fantastic when he did touch the ball this season. He had a few big catches in that game. Gary Bryant, similar situation. We didn't even see Dickey this year, and they they keep bringing guys in. They might still add another piece too. Dorian Singer from USC just entered the portal as we're recording. I mean, there's tons of options, and so I think it's just it's just crazy to see how quick this stuff changes. Like you talked about. Oregon's great. Oh, they're not that good. Oh, they're fantastic. Oh, you know, we're they're screwed for next year. Oh, they're the second best team in the country, maybe. And then it's like they have a quarterback coming in and they might be even better. It's, it's just funny to see how that works. And I think it was smart from landing while they're not probably done adding pieces defensively. You get the quarterback, it's much more likely guys yeah. will opt in because you know the team's going to be competitive. I, I will say like this Fiesta Bowl further emphasizes my excitement for the move to the play like the 12 team playoff next year because like as mm-hmm. you were saying as you were saying to start this thing off bowl season was terrible this year this was like the one year that i like didn't even really catch myself like flipping the channels and like you know putting on whatever Awful. game was it like across like it was just i i you can't get, bet on I, either you i can't i bet get on anything anymore yeah like i i, I get the opt-outs i get you know, the coaches that have to change because of the schedule and all that. But like, I feel like it all came to a head this year. And, you know, even when you have like what should have, what used to be respectable bowl games um, have like 25 opt-outs or whatever Florida state did in that game. And like, you're not even able to get like that. What could have been bowl, you know, it's just, it's sad that a 12 win Oregon season can end in a Fiesta bowl. And up until about like five years ago, a Fiesta bowl win for, any program is still like something that like that's a big ass trophy to put in <laughs> into that field down complex. And I'm sure as I wrote, like it was still great for them to win it that day. But I just, I think college football has reached this point where it just, this mode has exhausted itself. And I kind of staggered between that during the year because I loved the drama that was put on the, the Washington game this year. And like the, the win and you're in and you lose and you lose everything kind of mentality to that. Um, but I think December is a great month for football and it sucked this year. And I don't like that. And I, and I think when you do have a 12 team playoff, like you're at least going to have a few more weeks of like this type of drama and that must watch football. Yeah. And, and yeah, you mentioned like the opt out, like the, the could have been bowl with Florida state and Georgia. It's sad more than anything. Cause it makes you realize like, that that Herbert Rose Bowl team, that was now how long ago? That was four years ago. That doesn't happen now. Yeah, it just doesn't. Like that would not happen now. There wouldn't be the same kind of excitement around it, or it wouldn't have felt like a success the way it did then. Where it felt like, hey, yeah, maybe the playoff was a long shot, and it really was. But like, what a season! This is one of the all-time Oregon seasons, and now it's again, it's like twelve and two, and eh, whatever, you know. It, it's it's. Pretty interesting looking at 2019 and comparing it to this last season. The the main difference being the 2019 team won the Pac-12 championship, but they both lost two games during the year. They both didn't make the playoff. They won a New Year's Six Bowl game. 
I would argue the 2023 game team is better, but when you go back and kind of like rank the, like the Oregon seasons, I think 2019 deserves to be above it just because they beat all their rivals. They won the conference championship game and they won a bowl game that at that time still had that sort of pizzazz to it. I mean, we were both right. at that one. Like, like that was, that was a meaningful game yesterday. I, I wasn't. Yeah. Good. Oh, I was just going to say, I think, tw- I think 2023 team would win by 25 points. Yeah, I agree. Like, it would not be hard. Like, I, they'd have Herbert in hell, and Bo Nix would have chopped up that defense, probably. Like, I, yeah, it's that was four years ago. Like, that just, that illustrates such a, such a gap now. I mean, what, what's insane to me just to think, too, is with how quickly Washington did this and in turn, like, how quickly Oregon brought itself to that level. Cause again, six points this year is we were at that Georgia game last year when Georgia looked like it could have put 80 points on Oregon. And it just looked like it was an ocean between like where Oregon, the PAC 12, the West coast were was, and where the top teams of college football were. And I know Georgia's come down a little bit, but the fact that like Oregon and Washington have, have closed that gap within basically a year and a half and now have a more of an equal playing field with being in the big 10 I think this is you can make an argument this could be one of the more substantial like impactful seasons and or like kind of first two year eras uh in the rivalry and it could be landscape changing in college football if you know you end up getting a couple of west coast national champions. Yeah, I like that you yeah, you mentioned the landscape change because think about it. I mean, we had a playoff that Georgia probably should have been in and missed, but Alabama and Texas still made it and neither one of them will be playing on Monday night. Yeah. Like that's to me that's awesome. Like, I think that's awesome for the sport because you're seeing all these jokes on Twitter now where it's like, you know, the, the North owning the South and like they, they do these little borders where it's like all the good football teams are above, you know, whatever. I, I, I think those are so funny because, I mean, and it's it's completely just how the, the sports change, right? You can just overhaul these rosters in, in you know, blink of an eye. Um, do you, you know, I want to do hoops, obviously, but do you want to talk about just what you're expecting in the Natty? I, yeah. I'm excited. I'm so excited. Like, I... Those games were both fantastic. The semifinal games last year were great, but you still knew TCU was going to get rinsed. And like, I, I think I have an inkling what might happen in Monday night, but I have no idea really. It's it's interesting. I was listening to, it might have been Rosillo. It was a podcast yesterday, and they were talking about the matchup, and they were saying that they believed Michigan should be favored just because this is the one defense that – Washington's going to face that is kind of built to face a Washington type of defense. They talked about like how they have um, quick guys that can seal along the edge. They have a lot of hybrid linebackers and I mean, uh, basically it's just like a bunch of like nickelback quick linebackers out there to cover receivers. And it's like, yeah, that's how Oregon's defense was built this year too. And it didn't matter. And Oregon had a better offense than Michigan too. Like I, I just, I, I think it's a, what we were talking about earlier of just not a whole lot of people watch what was happening out on the West coast. Like I, I think Oregon would have beat Michigan. Like I'd pick Oregon to beat Michigan right now too, to be honest. Like, I, I think, I think this is a good, good matchup for the Huskies. And I just, I don't think Michigan, if it, if Washington scores in the first quarter, it's over. I don't think Michigan has the firepower to, to stay with that offense. And I just, it's a team that's made plays all season long when they've had to. And I think, oh man, Washington's going to win it. 
Ugh. Well, <clears throat> you said, you know, they're not going to be able to keep up with Washington. I, I totally agree. And yet, if Michigan got up double digits early, I'm also not, you know, I wouldn't be sweating if I were Washington. I mean, how many of those close games have they yeah. gritted out this year? Like, it doesn't seem to matter when they get down because, again, they score so damn quickly. Uh, Adunze had a quote. It was something along the lines of, like, we will always be true to ourselves. Like, no matter the situation, we're attacking. You think of that call that, um, oh, God, who's – uh, that Fowler had during the first Oregon Washington game, the Adunze touchdown. He said, Forget being patient. To you know, Penix to Adunze, they lead or whatever it was. And it's yeah. like, yeah, like that's just their thing. And um, you know, I have a ton of ton of friends who really know football and are big Michigan fans, and they absolutely wanted to play Texas. So like, this guy's freaky. And then a day later, they're like, hey, you know, our defense, you know, I like our ability. If those, if our DBs can stay with the receivers, I'm like, dude, like, here's the thing. It's not that their receivers are open. They're never really that open. They don't have to be. That's the freaky thing. It, it, I, I heard something else today, and they described it as, like, it's it's not that, like, yeah, it's like, it's not that they have to be, like, that open, but it's just, like, you have to have them covered on all parts of the like there's not a single part of the field that that's that's not like attainable for that Washington offense it's um nightmare inducing if you're a defensive coordinator especially if you're one that lives in Eugene yeah and you know Michigan's got a great probably future first round cornerback that they'll throw in at Dunze again you know even if they limit it it's like McMillan's healthy Polk has made huge plays all year um you know, Dylan Johnson, if, if he misses the game, that's that's pretty big because yeah. we, we sat down in August and we talked about how they had lost their running back for the season. It goes to show I can't even remember his name now. <laughs> right. I can't and Dylan either. Johnson, meanwhile, like he just picked up steam as he went on and became this really bruising running back and to the point where it's like you kind of forget like who was who even their second running back. Like it's, it, it was always Dylan Johnson. So if he misses the game, that's big. That being said, like – as much as people were making jokes that they weren't running enough, I felt there was still some big plays in that game where they they took the ball out of Penix's hands. It was on the goal line once or twice where they did the wildcat, and then I think it was a, another third down late in the game. Like I would just always want the ball in that guy's hands now that it looks like he's fully healthy. I mean, I think Washington, you know, at worst covers, I, I think they went outright. I do. Michigan's great again. I just they don't have they don't have that dynamic of an offense, and I, I don't think defense wins like it used to. I'm legit excited to watch the game at the very least. Like I, I, as, as somebody who, who didn't grow up as I go to like a traditional college football fan and has seen a lot of sec <laughs> during my professional time in these games, I, it's just going to be fun watching that game on Monday and, and having different stories, different coaches. Um, and I think from an Oregon perspective, you watch that pretty pissed off, but also kind of inspired that, it's more attainable now than it's ever been, but also you now have a national championship contender three hours North of Portland. <laughs> what, what, what's the last natty to you? That was a appointment viewing. I guess it, it should be always appointment viewing, but it's not. Mm-hmm. Like that you were excited to watch and you sat down and you really got into, because for me, it's probably Bama Clemson. Yeah, I was going. I was going to say. I was going to say probably the the Clemson. Those Clemson years were fun. Like those were yeah. those were good games. But even um, then, it wasn't teams that I was. It was just kind of. It still felt a little chalky. I, I think that game, the ending was phenomenal with the, the kind of walk off touchdown there. But 
to just have different brands is exciting. And I, I do think like I get some of the qualms about the 12 team playoff, but I think at worst it's going to weed out bad teams. Like if you can, especially if you're an underseeded team and you go through, you know, three rounds now and you make it, I think it eliminates, you know, a Georgia TCU game from last year because, you know, TCU beats Michigan. Do they win the next week in a 12 team? Probably not. Well, and, and the one thing with, recruiting and transfer in the nil era now too is it's been the one thing that has finally hindered like the absolute dominance of alabama and georgia on the recruiting trail you're seeing a little bit of that like the all that talent is still staying within like the top 12 teams but it's a little less concentrated at the top and you're getting it spread out a little bit more so i do think that there is a little less talent discrepancy amongst the absolute top team so i think that this is probably the right time to move to 12 teams because if it would have been four or five years ago, you're probably still going to have like the Bama, Georgia's and Ohio state's just housing everybody in those. Um, We are sure Shellstead isn't the best player in Oregon, right? We're sure about that, right? Are we sure about that? I'm not sure about that. I'm pretty sure he's the best player in Oregon. Yeah. even, 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 Even when Dante comes back, like Dante does what he does very well, but in terms still of college basketball guards still, still win games it's, it's still college basketball and this is still a team that has a coach that takes a long time to completely trust players especially young players and to see the way that altman puts the ball in shellstad's hands late in situations lets him kind of even freelance a bit at times that kid's a killer and then like, what he says about him afterwards the yeah. quotes the quotes are really Allman will give you one every once in a while, but those are very kind of standout quotes, I thought. Yeah, you know, saying that he has the it factor and not a lot of people have the it factor. Just just even the fact that he put two freshmen at the podium after the USC game. I can't remember the last time that it was two freshmen, especially this early in the year. Um, so for them to like out of that recruiting class have like an absolute dog in Chelstad, KJ Evans is really good too. A better recruit than shellstad was and you're really kind of seeing the array of his offensive game he can shoot from the outside and he when he actually puts his head down and is aggressive towards the cup like he can finish and then we're getting mookie cook back this week too like i i think you know this isn't ever going to be a sub stack anymore that throws out uh large uh, predictions or proclamations for where oregon basketball ceiling can go but i think it's if you're able, yeah but i think when you're you start to put some of these pieces back together. Oregon's been a good team without all these guys. And a large part of that has been because of Shellstad. And maybe, maybe that's just been a blessing to let them learn that, that he's the dude. And then you assemble everything else back around him. I'm going to say, you know, it doesn't often go this way, but sometimes injuries can unlock better lineups, can unlock players. It's happened before. I mean, I was texting you about the bowl. bowl I don't season. want to hear about your fantasy team. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I mean, the, the bowl bowl season. And I actually, I won one of my leagues. So you want to give me a quick round of applause? A little one of these. I finished last in one of mine. So me too. Yeah. I did also. Uh, I hop loading. Um, back to the point. Um, like you lose Biddle for this, uh, Biddle and you lose Zarzuela for the season. And, and again, you, it, they, I won't say they're better without those guys, but they're more clearly defined roles, and the rotation naturally just falls into place because, like, okay, we only have so many guys. The the shell sad stuff is like already storybook. Like the fact that 
all the Pritchard stuff, right? And then you add in the fact that, I mean, you're out there writing, like Ken Shell said, put the dog back in Oregon. And Oregon's coming off two years where they kind of missed the tournament because they didn't work hard enough. And this freshman comes in. There's a lot, of, the state. a lot of pressure. <laughs> yeah. And then he just works his ass off. Guys are happy to defer to him on this you know, pretty old team, really. Um, he's, you know, he's hitting ridiculous shots. He already had the Michigan shot. He had another one of those deep threes. The way he brought them back in the second half against, was it UCLA was the second game that he brought them back kind of with a few threes. I mean, it's just, he's, he's deadly, man. That's the biggest difference between him and Pritchard too, is they obviously have parallels of being from Oregon and West Lynn and all that. But Pritchard was able to kind of nestle his way in amongst one of the most talented Oregon rosters ever. Like he was able to kind of be the fifth guy to Dylan Brooks, to to Jordan Bell, to Tyler Dorsey. And he was still very effective. Like there was a reason why they had him replace Casey Benson midseason, but like it didn't become Pritchard's team until it was forced to become his team. Like as a sophomore, like, man, this, this Shellstad thing is how effective he's been this early and making this team good has been, uh, yeah, like like it, it has the foundations to turn into something pretty cool down the road. Like I, again, it's it's so early, and, and you don't want to put like too much on. You know, I, I hate like the build up, and then if you they don't achieve something that was artificially built up, like you know whose fault is that really? But um, this thing, this thing could be really fun. Well, that's the key, right? Because I don't think. It'd be really hard for them to make the tournament if they just don't have that many win- uh, games left on their schedule that are like marquee games. They they kind of ha- they'd have to beat Arizona once. They'd need Colorado and Utah to keep winning. The LA schools bombing has been hurtful to the entire yeah. Pac-12. Um, and you know I I'm not convinced that Oregon's actually all that amazing yet. Like we're not that far removed from them losing by twenty plus to Syracuse. Sure. But again, like. I'm on board for this. I want to see where this goes. They have fun players that make sense and bring different things to the court. Not that long ago, it's like three left-handed guards that are all just kind of like, if I don't get a contested mid-range off, I don't know what to do with myself. Now you've got all these guys that come in and they they all do something that you can like very clearly, without really knowing basketball, point to like that dude does that. Kwame, you talked about him. I, I didn't expect him to be this good. He's a raw five-star, but he's he's getting a longer leash. And I mean, I can't wait to see him. He's he's got such long arms too. Like that. The one real impressive thing is these guys get in passing lanes all the time. They're very active on defense and you know, they have to be too, because largely this is a small ball lineup. Um, But some of those guys are lengthy, but you know, Kwame has the ability to get out on the perimeter and he's had, he has to do a lot of work inside too. You lose 14 feet of center. Uh, in a couple of a couple of weeks you're, you're gonna have to to take on more responsibilities there but yeah it, it's been fun I it's it's interesting to see UCLA struggle because especially when Oregon didn't make the tournament I think two years ago and when UCLA was in the final four that's when I wrote like my does Dana Altman have like a final act in him column and I think I paralleled a little bit of Altman to Cronin and because at the time it looked like UCLA had a team that like did exactly what it like wanted to do or like like it was a program that had an identity and was like where they is it? They had a core that they used a, a, a core of a few guys that won a lot with it. I mean it turns out Hawkeyes is really fucking good too. Yeah and so it's 
I, I think the thing that I get caught up in sometimes is you're always looking for a storyline. And sometimes you forget that like shit just happens in, in seasons too. Like, I, you know, I, I still think it's important that Oregon turns things around this year and make, I it's really important. They make the tournament this year, but at the same time too, like really good programs can have downturns and swings and speed bumps. And I think the ducks are showing this year that like Altman's still a pretty good coach. Um, yeah. But he's, he's going to have to be for them to, to make the tournament though this year too. And again, I, I just don't think it's all or nothing the way it's been with these really unknown old, thrown together rosters the past few years like if 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 Oregon is competitive for the rest of the season and in a good team above 500 and it's like Shellstead, Mookie and Kwame are like three of the best six players on the team everyone will be okay with that like yep. it would be I think people would be bummed that they didn't make it but you say look like we got three three dudes that are young two of them are local guys like that's the core moving forward and the thing about Shellstead, like I hope people enjoy him because he's not staying four years. So that's, that's what I was going to ask you is, you know, hoop better than I do. Like there's, there's no worry. He'd be a one and done though. Is there? No, I don't think he'd be one and done. Uh, he still obviously needs to get bigger. Like that's the, that's the thing for him is like Richard got to this level where he was such a dynamic finisher that last season where he, I mean, that's one of the all time Oregon seasons shooting wise. Um, he's there with Pritchard. He'll be, he'll, or he's going to get there. Uh, speed wise, he's got Pritchard. Pritchard got stronger and he was a more dynamic finisher by the end of his career. But Shellstead has time. And I mean, shoot, Shellstead was had, a football player. Nice, nice corridor story a few years ago. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I had a, I had multiple coaches though that played against him in high school. Like, yeah. That's, you know, two or three years he's NBA. And I think Shellstead's one of those guys that you probably see, you know, I don't think he's going to go early first round. I think he could absolutely be a late round. Uh, late first round pick at some point though, just because he's dynamic. He's so fast that mid range is, is just unguardable at a certain point. He's got NBA range and he's got the dog in him, like you said. There you go. Not to be overlooked, although we're not going to dive into it, but Oregon State's already got eight wins. They beat USC by more than Oregon did. Um, it was it was funny. I, I had a story on Tyler Billado today. Um, he's their six foot nine sophomore who scored 26 points. And I was like, Hey, like you're on TikTok, right? He's like, yeah. I was like, how many Bronny James highlights did you see from that game on TikTok that didn't mention the score? Like who won? He's like, dude, I saw so many of those. And it's just, you know, it's, it's funny that an Oregon state team that won three games two years ago, um, just kind of has a casual win over a team that has the number two player in the country, at point guard, Bronny James, a lot of talent. Um, a lot of talent that doesn't really fit together, to be honest. Oh, yeah, yeah, completely. So, I wonder if Bronny would change his decision if he could, if, he could, if he'd do it again. Oregon State still hasn't won away from home. They're going away on the, the Washington trip this week, but um, – you know, it's it's been a nice start for them so far. So it's it's and then throw in what what is the, what are the women like twelve and zero right now? Is that right? Something like that. And then I mean, you know, even or even yeah, we don't we don't, we don't need to talk we don't need to talk about the Oregon women's team. But. <laughs> <laughs> They're weird, man. They're so weird. Okay, let's um, let's let's close this out. What was the best thing you ate over holiday break? Man, see, I knew I'd get this question, and yet I didn't do anything to prepare. I had so much food. Like I ate so so well go and i'll think 
Well, so, so over, oh, so, yeah, so over like actual holiday, we had a lot of like traditional, man, we had a lot of ham this year and it was, Ooh, it was I'm not a big ham guy. It can be good, I'm, but I'm, I'm fine on ham on around holidays. I, you know, probably would have had prime rib, but you know, Substack, you know, we're, we're trying to save a little bit, couple, couple bills, but, but restaurant wise, nothing. I haven't eaten anything lately, Shane. Yeah. It's all blending together, dude. It really is. Um I had I just had I just say good. Like it I just say I had so much. Um I'm trying to get in shape a, for uh for a squash tournament at the end of the month. So like last yeah. night, dude, last night baked chicken breasts, broccoli, mm. sweet potatoes. Like I'm just becoming Great, a machine. I'm just becoming a machine, you know? Like Dude, that was, you know, it's going to be fascinating when you're co-hosting this and like I'm just shredded. Are you going to be, be super are you, fascinating? Are you going to be intimidated? I think you might. <laughs> well, as you say, chicken and broccolini, that was like a go-to. That was a staple for me in undergrad. It's not bad, it's man. Like it's as long as, yeah, as long, bro- bro- broccolini is a criminally underrated vegetable. It really is. And it's more, um, what's the word? It just, it looks, it looks cuter than broccoli. You know, it's, it's more dainty almost. This is, this is what I'm going to like pull quote from, from this week's episode. <laughs> there I, you think go. We, I think we should end there. Um, my takes on Penix and broccolini. Your t- takes on Penix and broccolini. Um, well, Hey, thanks for listening everybody. Happy, have a happy new year. Uh, thank you for subscribing. And I think we're going to have some good hoops and football content coming up over the coming weeks. So keep an eye out at i5corridor.com.com. Peace.